man, these are bright. Oh. Can they go down a little bit? Oh, that's better. Thank you. When you have glasses, it reflects back. Oh, thank you very much. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you. Lord, your word is now open before us, and there is no end of the enemy's effort to distract us from the things that you want us to draw out of it tonight. So I ask, Lord, that you would just clear the minds, the hearts, the distractions, and help each of us here tonight focus on you, your word, what it is you have for us to take home, each of us, that you will use to glorify yourself with in our lives. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. What a night. I'm gonna, I'd like to start out with, on a Wednesday night, because I know it's been a long day for many of us, and after a short time, when you sit for a while, you start to kind of... So, I want to tell you right up front, here, if you get nothing else tonight out of this message, I mean nothing else, nothing else comes to mind a week later, this one thing I want you to have and take with you, God is zealous for you. He is zealous for you. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So if you fall asleep or you get distracted or you start texting or whatever else you do, you, uh, you know this, he's zealous for you. He might convict you later for that, but he's zealous for you. If you fall asleep, I'll come over like I'm still talking and we'll put this by your mouth. And if you start snoring, we'll wake you up. No, I saw that happen once at a chapel in Teen Challenge and that was not pretty. Anyway, um, we won't do that tonight. When I was, uh, Pastor Tom asked me if I would teach tonight, I, I was, had this matter before the Lord as far as what he wanted me to touch on, and a message actually that I shared a few months ago at, a, at the nursing home um, that God had uh, put on my heart to share there. And I took it tonight, and he expanded it a little bit, and, uh, and I want us to, uh, to look at those things. In your Bibles, you want Isaiah chapter 9, and then put your finger there and turn to, oh, does anybody need a Bible? Thank you. I'm used to Teen Challenge. Everybody has to have a Bible before they come into chapel. Sorry about that. And then I, and Isaiah chapter 9, and then keep your finger there and turn to Isaiah chapter 61. These are the two verses that we're going to be drawing our text out of tonight. But starting in chapter um, 9, starting in verse 6, this is a, uh, a verse that's often read at Christmas for different things, but there's, there is a promise there I want us to uh, focus on. Nevertheless, or down in chapter 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, and establish it with judgment and justice 
from that time forward, even forever. And then it closes with this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In the the New Living Translation, it says, passionate, the Lord's passionate commitment to this promise he, uh, with that, he will fulfill it and perform it. Now, before I comment much more on that, let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. These are familiar ver- ver- words, and we're going to be reading them out of the New Testament as well in a minute. But here's another prophecy from the same prophet Isaiah. And it starts out with this, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then I'm going to read on here for just a little bit. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise For the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Two prophecies, two promises. For 800 years, God in his zeal, his passionate commitment, watched over those promises. Through kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling, violence, peace, hunger, plenty, everything that went on in the world. For 800 years, God zealously watched over these two promises. And then we see 800 years, he starts to bring parts of these to pass. Now you can read about the Lord's birth in Luke chapter 1, but about I want to go move forward about 30 years, and I want us to turn to Luke chapter 4. So if you will turn there. And I'm going to start in chapter 4, and I am going to, and I'm in the wrong book. Starting in verse 14, let me uh, preface what I want us to look at with this. Then Jesus, he had just was just just off his battle in the wilderness for 40 days with the enemy and with and hunger and that fast. And he's coming back and he's starting his ministry. And then he returned in the power. This is verse 14. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book, or literally a scroll, of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we know the rest. That message was received about as well as a, as a Gentile bringing a baked ham to an ultra-Orthodox bar mitzvah. They, they did not go over too well. But just the same, it was the truth, and he declared it, and it was fulfilled in the hearing of those folks there that day. But he used these words in this prophecy, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, those who are oppressed. Now, these are words that describes all of us before we came to the Lord in one way or another. Um, and the Father's own zeal for the 800 years to make sure for us to both hear the good news and to be and to able to know him reveals his zeal for us. He's zealous for us. And for 800 years, he watched that. Now, the acceptable year of the Lord, that was 2,000 years ago. So for 2,000 years, he has been zealously watching over and moving forward the acceptable year of the Lord and all that that means. In other words, the raising up of the church, the gospel going out to all the corners of the earth. He is zealously guarding that because he was zealous for his promise. He was zealous for the people whom the Messiah would come through. And he was zealous that they would hear him and believe him. And just as zealous as all of that, he's been zealous for us these 2,000 years that are hearing that message. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and those who are oppressed. When we do the go team, sometimes I get, I'm in town and I get to do the go team, and I see that in everybody, don't we? The poor, the oppressed, the brokenhearted. And then some don't even know they're oppressed and brokenhearted, but, but they walk by anyway. But, but for 2,000 years, Titus 2.14 says, he, gave, he who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God is zealous for us, and we want to be zealous for him. Amen? This does not move well on this wood, so I'm going to put it right here. Anyway, when we humbled our hearts and we confessed our sins, remember that day? Do you remember that day? And we asked Jesus, the Son, into our hearts. We gained two things that day. We gained redemption, eternal life, that promise, the assurance of that. We gained a spiritual life that was dead, then it was made alive. We were forgiven for our sins. We gained that. We didn't earn it. It was given to us, a gift. He didn't owe it to us. The only thing he owes is people who die in their sin, and he owes them the wages of sin, which is death. That's the only thing God owes anybody. But we, we took hold of the gift that he zealously guarded for so long. We gained that, and we gained one other thing that day. We gained an adversary. And we, we know him as Satan. 
We learn in Revelation 12:10 that Satan accuses us before our God day and night. As our accuser, one of the things he desires we start doing is doubt our father's love, our, our father's ability to father us. And I love a couple of the songs that were chosen tonight because it spoke about his love for us, the fact he fathers us, he, he watches over us, he doesn't ever forget us and, and, and stop that. And, uh, and I thought, how fitting. God's always kind of get this thing together. They didn't know what I was going to teach on, and I wasn't sure what songs they were going to pick. So God is good. He's always got a plan. He's working. When we contemplate, you know, we got, when we contemplate compromise, and we all have, amen, we've all comp- contemplated compromise, Satan's not going to accuse us at all at that moment. If anything, and Pastor Thomas said this, and many others, and you, most of you know it, that when Satan puts a thought in your mind, it doesn't sound like him. It sounds like you in your head. It's your voice. And it sounds just like your thoughts. And one of the things he does is he wants us getting um, uh, to bring, uh, to start to doubt that and accuse us before God and accuse God before us. And as our accuser, uh, as we, though, we make the decision to prayerfully focus in in what Second Corinthians 10 says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is one of those scriptures we make a memorize at Teen Challenge. Our adversary will begin to accuse us. And he will not. He will, be, he will viciously be upon us if we let him. Satan wants us doubting our father's zealous love for him, for us. One place he tries to do this, I've seen it in my life many times, is our prayer time. Or the secret place, or the prayer closet, whatever you call it, and refer to it as. And that moment... When everything about you is wanting to focus in on your Lord and his love and your love for him and you want him to know that and you want all the distractions out, you've, you've taken the remote control out of your reach so you can't just pick it up or anything else that might be in the way that would be a distraction. First thing, uh, and you want it to be that, and the first thing Satan does is he will start to attack you there and accuse you. And he does it on three, at least three levels. There's more. This is not an exhaustive list, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at three of them briefly. The first level is he starts to accuse us on how God is fathering us. And it often sounds like this. Lord, really? You love me? And all this is happening to me? Or this hasn't come about? Or my prayer hasn't been answered? Or I lost my job? Or this happened? Really? I'm supposed to believe you love me? That's what the devil hopes to plant in your head. To get you doubt his ability to father you as a loving father. Ephesians 3.20 said, you know, Satan knows the father's zealous for us. And he has love for us, his children. Ephesians 3.20 says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, our Father has more than enough power to help us take every thought captive. More than enough power. 
This is why it's so important to keep focused on our Father's zealous love for us and His zealousness for us in the midst of pain and trial. And we all go through it, some of us more than others, especially as you get older. It, there's all kinds of pain and trial, amen? And, it, and, it, and then look at the world we live in. Look at our country today and the insanity of it. And you wonder, God, where are you? He's there on his throne. And he's, this will not go any farther than he will allow it. But in the midst of it, his people still love him, still proclaim the word, and let people know there's a God in heaven who cares about them and loves them. And the Father wants us, Satan wants us to doubt him. Why? Because Satan knows God is zealous for us. Or God, yeah, Satan knows that God is zealous for us. The second level, that's one, doubting the Father's ability to be a, a good father. The second level is Satan's attempt to accuse us to God. This child of yours is a dismal failure. It's an embarrassment to your kingdom. Look at how he failed you. I hear that a lot with guys in Teen Challenge. I'm an utter failure. Look at what I did to God's name. I was raised in the church, went forward, gave my life, got sidetracked. Look at what I've done. I'm a complete failure. Why would God want me? In the midst of that, Satan's hope. And First John one, John one nine ten says. Excuse me. Let me back up a second here. Missed a thought here. When, when that happens, when he tries to uh, get us, uh, accuse us to God, and it's like he's trying to get God to change his mind about you. But he doesn't change, does he? Remember Job, the gentleman in the Old Testament? When I first got saved, I thought it was pronounced Job. And I had to ask, I was 22, and I had hardly read this book in 22 years. And I look at that and I says, babe, look at this. There's, there's a chapter in here titled Job. And she goes, honey, that's Job. And I said, there should be an E on the end of that then. But she goes, no, it's pronounced Job. And that's, I started to read about Job. But in Job chapter 1, you know, uh, the angels, the sons of God, or the angels are going and presenting themselves to, to God, and the Satan shows up, and he says, you know, where have you been? And he, he says, I've been going all to and fro, and God points out Job. What do you think of my servant Job? Man, he's righteous, he's done everything right, blah, 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 blah. And he says in, in verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? And around all that he has on every side. So the Lord let Satan go ahead and take his household. And all he owns. His household, his sons and his, and his, his daughters. And all that he owns. He lets them have it. And then he comes back in front of him again. And he says, but, but Job doesn't lose his righteousness. Doesn't, doesn't curse God and die. And so God says, you know, what about... What do you think of my servant Job? Look at, I did all this. He still, still does not curse me. And he says, so Satan says, you know, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. 
you could paraphrase that, skin for skin and drove a bail. And, but we, we read in our minds, sometimes we start to wonder and fear that maybe God might be agreeing with our accuser because sometimes he lets a lot of things happen. We lose a lot of things, a lot of physical battles and struggles, and we go, God, you know, who are you listening to up there? You know? And he goes, um, and we know the story. If you don't, you need to read it. Job almost sinned. Almost. He got awful close. But God intervened, and Job did the smart thing. When he got all done and God started talking, he just closed his mouth and said nothing. And um, Satan must think that we can get God to change our mind about us. I've said that just a minute ago. I wanted to repeat that. But God is zealous for us. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now this is the context of this is judgment on Israel for their sins, rejecting their Messiah, Yahweh, or rejecting Yahweh, their God, whom their Messiah would come from. And yet he says, I am the Lord, I don't change. I have zealously promised that you would always be before me. Not all of you will be consumed as a people. What God said to his people of old, he says to us. And we need to remember that sometimes, especially as the days ahead, if they get even more evil. Third level is Satan's attempt to accuse us to ourselves. And he is really good at this. Satan is particularly good. He's an expert at berating us of our sins our failures, our weaknesses. Satan will double his effort at this when we are trying to focus in on our private time with the Lord. Who are you to think God would be interested in you? After everything you said the other day to your wife or your boss or those people that you supervise or that you thought in your mind, you see, he'll use anything. And everything. And God will use failings like that sometimes to teach us great lessons. When I started this job with the national office, if you would have asked me in 2006, are you a patient man? You got a lot of patience? I would have said, yeah. Yeah, God has helped me a lot in that area. And I would have meant it. But then I found out what happens when you're in an airport and you're tired and it's a long week. And it keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Hour goes by, two, three, four. Started at 3 p.m. And at 11 p.m. it was canceled. I wasn't as patient as I thought I was. And when I finally got to a hotel to sleep for four hours and take a shower... I was on my knees going, God, I am so sorry. You know, I am so sorry, Lord, what I did. And I knew God in here. I mean, I knew here he had forgiven me because he knew I meant it. But it took about a week for the feelings and the emotion to catch up to that truth. And after that, whenever I would start to see that, I'd, I'd back up and go, okay, Doug. God's in control. And most of the time I remember that. But now there's rules. They, they just, they'll cancel a flight in an hour or two, and nobody goes through that long a time anymore. 
But Satan's good at this. But our Lord is zealous for us. His love is without limits. And he knows our weaknesses. And he loves us anyway. Just like you got you to have kids. You know their weaknesses. And they stretch you beyond places you didn't even know you could stretch. But you still love them. And you still care about them. And then you get a reminder. Was I like this? And your parents, if they're still alive, go, yeah. You were like this at times. And I'm doing to you what they did to me. They took them out and got them all sugared up and brought them home. And then they left. <laughs> really? When does that cycle end? When the Lord returns. It's a right of grandparents to do that. And um, and I was we've never had kids, but I pastored four years as an assistant associate pastor before I had my own church. And I had I used to tell people I had 250 of the best kind of kids. I can play with them at church, wind them all up, sugar them up, hug them, love on them, pray for them, and send them home. And I said that one time, and one of the mothers says, next week, my son is coming with an overnight bag, and he is going with you. And I went, I never said that again. <laughs> Not and again. But I still love those kids, you know, to this day I think about them. They're all adults now, but, but, um, but you know, God knows, uh, He loves us without limits. He knows our weaknesses. And I want to close with these two verses for us and then I'll have the worship team come back up. Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I love Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. Because he, that would be you and I, has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on a high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he set his love upon me. I was, he's zealous for us. He never diminishes in that zeal. Let us not forget that even when it doesn't look like he does. Or we're, or we doesn't feel like it. The truth is. He doesn't change. He always is zealous for us. He will be zealous for us now, tomorrow, the day he calls us to be with him, and for eternity he will be zealous for us. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your love, for your zeal for us. For 2,800 years you have watched over these words. And parts of it we read tonight that haven't been fulfilled yet. So you're still zealously 
zealously watching over those promises and for the day when they will be fully and completely fulfilled. In the meantime, God, thank you, Lord, that our God, our Savior, our Lord and our Master is zealous always for us and help us to be zealous for you in all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.